1: mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america and a AM member fdsc are you a diehard comic book collector or maybe a lapsed fan maybe even someone who has never picked up a comic book in their life hi i'm remso martinez and i'm mark claire every single wednesday at the second print comics podcast Remzo and i take a deep dive into the storylines character arcs moments and events that made us the fans we are today Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else podcasts are available. Check out more from the Second Print Comics podcast at secondprintcomics.com. Prepare yourself. You're on the run with Remzo W. Martinez. Caleb, I think the timing of this article that you're getting published in Real Clear History tomorrow could not have been more perfect. It's right before Halloween. We're constantly seeing online uh, an argument regarding censorship of some type, whether it's shadow banning, whether it's curtailing speech. I mean, the, the stuff, I feel like we're still having the same argument from like 2015, but what people lack is context. Uh, Let's go ahead and talk about your piece because it really, really resonated with me being a comic book nerd, that this is a part of American history that people think is just a pop culture phase, but really what this moment represented was really artistic expression down to its core.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um, And I think that's, you know, (laughs) first of all, writing this piece was a lot of fun. Um, this was like the intersection of all my favorite things that I could possibly write about. You know, it's it's a history piece, it's a comic book piece, it's a Halloween piece. Uh, so it's like all these things thrown into you've, one. You've article. got the Trinity so it, of Awesome. It it was it was a blast to write, and I'm 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 really happy that that Real Clear decided to go ahead and run with it. Um, and, and basically, yes, you, you're right. This is, this is a really important episode in comic book history in particular, but it's also a really important episode in the broader history of freedom of speech. Uh, and uh, for, for those who don't know, what we're talking about here is um, the, uh, the Senate Committee on uh, comic books is, uh, it was actually called the Senate Committee on, I believe it was uh, Juvenile Delinquency. Uh, and of course that was traced back to comic books because that was their, their sort of boogeyman at the time. Now those boogeymen have sort of evolved since then. It's not as much comic books anymore. Um, and there, were no, there was no uh, legislation that happened to, to outright censor it. But there, there was some definitely some damaging things to come out of it. Um, most prominently being the the comic uh, the comic code authority, and that uh, is is something that had a severe impact on um, comic books and art artistic uh, ability of, of just being able to tell stories, and
1: it impacted the way that we know stories today
0: uh, for for several decades.
1: Yeah. I mean, you you almost could not sell a comic to local comic shops or newsstands if it didn't have that little white stamp on the top left corner. And, And that's the thing about it. Like people think that it was exclusively something that you had to have to even get your comic books published. But the reality was it was actually a little bit more nefarious. It was something that you had to opt into. You could yeah. publish comic books without it, except you had a lot of that social stigma around. You had peer pressure. Uh, most notably, it was Stan Lee when he did a run on Spider-Man where he was discussing the fact that Harry Osborn, Peter Parker's best friend, became a drug addict. And the, mm-hmm. comics, and the comics Code Authority was like, no, you can't, you can't run this story. And Stan, and Stan Lee was like, well, I'm going to run it anyway.
0: Yeah, uh, superheroes it was mean, it was just one of the most like badass moments in, in comic book history, to especially to come from Stan Lee, um, which just really makes me happy uh knowing that is just he kind of gave a the a big middle finger to the to the Comics Code authority on that episode. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and what, what you talk about specifically is the fact that this actually did kill a certain genre of comic books for a time. And, and I had to go back and do a little bit of research, and what you basically see is like a 30, 40 year gap where horror comics are basically non existent. And it, it's really funny now because I can go to my local comic shop here, and there, there are tons of horror comics. But this was kind of like that red herring. This was the thing where they were like, "Look, you're you're seeing murder, you're seeing gore, you're seeing in some cases they were like you're seeing pornography." I mean, they they basically tried to go after horror comics, not just because of that specific genre, but it was their way of trying to cripple the comic book industry as a whole because those were some of their best sellers.
0: Yeah, that's right, and that's that's sort of the. Um... That's that's sort of the hook uh, that connects this uh, this article that I wrote to um, Halloween is is because horror comics in particular were so affected um, by this uh, Senate hearing and then as a result by the Comics Code Authority. And I think there are some strong parallels between what happened to horror comics then uh, versus you know what what so many people are going through you know on like social media and, and things like that today. This concept of like self censorship—if if we don't do it, they're going to do it—is uh, is just I think a, a really un American um, anti. It's it's very anti uh, antithesis. Uh, to the, to the concept of, and the spirit of uh, the freedom of speech. And we saw, obviously, as as you mentioned, horror comics t- uh, took a dip. Um, it really had, there was no, it was very anecdotal. There was no <laughs> evidence that horror comics had anything to do with childhood delinquency. I guess nobody stopped and considered for a moment that maybe that You know, that little thing that we call World War II may have had some sort of an impact when it was only like 10 years before (laughs) the Senate Senate hearing happened. Um, And maybe the fact that like these kids were missing their fathers or their fathers were coming back home with severe PTSD before we really understood what that meant. Um, And you have all of these all of these things that nobody seemed to even consider remotely they just found a boogeyman to latch on to. And at the time that boogeyman was, was horror comics and also uh, crime comics. Uh, that, that also tended to be a little bit more adult oriented. And something that I, I tried to uh, emphasize in this piece uh, particularly is how this really shifted the public's perspective of what, uh, what a comic book even is you know across across the world it's not like it's not juvenile to read comic books you know for that's that's very much an american thing or at least do a western think,
1: thing do you think that like post post world war 2 the fact that comic books went from primarily being a propaganda tool to sell war bonds the fact that you were actually getting interesting writers and artists coming in who wanted to actually create something cool it seemed like this tool that was used for you know I'm I'm going to say this with like air quotes but like this tool that was used to kind of like propagate big government and big corporate interests is now kind of renegade because you start looking post I think it's 1965 and this is when you have some of probably the most experimental political commentary books for you know for a while i mean you, you start having comic books jump into the gun argument you have comic books talking about you know being against the vietnam war and then you have one of probably my favorite political commentaries which is captain america uh, secret empire where basically captain america becomes disillusioned with this government and he he basically quits because he's like oh god damn the whole system is screwed up there, there seems to be it's some type of tie
0: yeah, and you know, like right after, well, the, what, what I was starting to get at there was you know, that comic books today, we, we kind of think they, they kind of have a stigma, even though that superhero movies uh, are just killing the box office left and right. Um, these, went, whenever they were going through this big uh, shift and, and threat of uh, censorship. And because right after the war, uh, this was this was the primary form of (laughs) of entertainment. You know, uh, people wanted to read comics because it was it was escapism Um, and it wasn't geared towards children. It, it, It definitely wasn't. It was primarily meant just as much for adults. And that's why you had adult content like in horror comics and like in crime comics. Uh, just as much as any like R-rated movie, like if you're worried about children stumbling in on that, just don't show them those movies. Well, you know, don't show them <laughs> the comic books if you're really that worried about it. Um, and then after, after that hearing and after the uh, Comics Code Authority happened, uh, you basically force comics to turn juvenile. Um, to, to only deal with topics and to, to create this sort of fantasy world, really, where, uh, where everything exists in very black and white terms. There's no nuance. And it eventually got to the point where it was inhibiting storytelling abilities, which is what we saw with Stan Lee with the, uh, with the Harry Osborn drug issue, um, where that's, it was an important story that Stan felt very passionate about to tell, And the Comics Code Authority was saying, like, well, that's tough because it it violates the code.
1: Yeah, and that's the crazy thing about it. That issue was one of the first comics in probably a decade not to have that Comics Code Authority logo on there. And the sales went crazy. I'm pretty sure Marvel actually had to do a second printing for that. But what, what acts like that do is they show the illusion of authority because the comics code authority couldn't do anything to stanley they couldn't even do anything to marvel what it really became at the end of the day was it kind of became kind of like an extra sales pitch like you know you're getting something of a certain standard if you buy a comic with this comics code authority label it's kind of like the jd power awards it's like that's a that's an award that was created by the auto industry to give themselves awards <laughs> yeah. like it's not it's not real yeah
0: yeah, and um, and and you you can kind of see that that moment. Uh, even though I don't think I really touch on it too much in, in this particular article, you can really see that moment uh, being a, a bit of a threshold, uh, a watershed moment for um, for for the industry as a whole. Uh, because today, the the comments code authority is virtually non-existent. Um, I, I don't think anyone uses it. Uh, it was kind of used uh, kind of tongue in cheek, uh, in the, uh, in, uh, into the Spider-Verse at the, at the beginning of the movie, uh, just to kind of show how far it's gone from being like the arbiter of like, you have to have this to now where it's like, everyone looks at this and it's like, man, that was weird. Wasn't it that we had to like (laughs) go to them to like seek permission to, (laughs) to publish these, these stories. Um, and 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 that's that's the natural course of things because now we understand that like no we need to tell these stories we need to tell tough stories uh at times and and stories that that relate to individuals because that's that's the way that that stories have always operated they're they're not always in this like fantasy world of being black and white and sure sometimes that that works but it doesn't work for for every story uh and for a horror comic and this is something that I uh I really enjoyed (laughs) I really enjoyed this part because you know they brought in during the senate hearing back in the 50s they brought in these uh comic book uh creators and there was this one comic book where they uh it was it was a crime comic book, so it wasn't quite a horror comic book, but it was the same you know same uh, idea. and the guy was holding up uh, on the cover the guy was holding up um I believe it was his wife's head with within one hand and a bloody axe in the other, and his wife and the rest of his wife's body was like laying there to the side. It doesn't show anything graphic, but it paints the image of 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 horror and it paints the image of of graphic nature uh and (laughs) the senator that was kind of grilling them all and, and they were saying like do you think this is appropriate and the guy the uh the the guy who ran the the comic book um uh company said yes i do for a horror comic, <laughs> because this is not for everyone. This is specifically a horror comic book. We're not going to paint, you know, roses and rainbows and unicorns on this thing when it's meant to be for a very specific kind of storytelling.
1: I, I saw this a lot when when I was working at GameStop years ago. You would have these parents, and I would remember because it would usually be like a date turnaround. You'd have these parents come in. And their kids would get games that even I would think, okay, maybe that kid's a little bit too young for for like Grand Theft Auto or something. And they would buy it. And then they would come the next day and they'd be like, oh, I I, I didn't know this was what my son was playing. I want him playing this. And it's like, don't don't blame the game person like lady. Because it was, <laughs> I, I might as well add it. It was almost always women. Usually when fathers yeah. came in to buy their kids game, games, it wasn't a problem because they would yeah. play it themselves. But usually it would be these mothers who were like, you know, I can't believe you you let me buy this for my son. It's like, my job is not to parent your child. My job is to sell video games.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's that's kind of always where the, the breakdown has been, is that um, parents need to take control of, of their own authority and their own responsibility in this realm. Like, I, I'm not someone, I, I, I definitely think that, like, exposing children to things too early or too young of an age can be very harmful uh, for them. But that's the role of the parent to, to, to police and to govern. That's not the role, that's not something that parents should be passing off to the government or at least to the government, to the extent that they can, like, threaten these industries so, you know, so much to where they start to self-regulate. That's not their job. It, their job is to do these things themselves and to judge for their own kids uh,
1: whether or not this is this is appropriate for them or not. So in the, in the early 2000s, Marvel Comics actually did do some type of self-regulation. I'll, I'll actually know if they still do it. But this is an example of them actually doing something that I think is responsible for themselves and also keeps parents accountable because it was in the early two thousands where Marvel actually started putting ratings on their comics and you had uh, all ages, you had the ones that had no rating, which meant it's fine. And then you had the parental advisory and mature books. And I could never get those parental advisory books growing up. In fact, I wasn't able to actually read the Watchmen which is one of my favorite comics, I wasn't able to read that until I was a teenager because Mm -hmm. my parents saw that when I was like in eighth grade. And they're like, no, you're not old enough to read something that says parental advisory. (laughs) So, you know, and it was fair at that point because, you know, my parents would look at some of my comics and they're like, you know, that's a bit too risque. That's a bit too violent. What's going on? But they trusted the ratings. And for the most part, I think Marvel editorial actually did a pretty good job With how they rated them. I don't know if they still do that, but I do know, for example, that with DC Comics, right now what they have is their DC black label. And this is an example of where, you know, I'll I'll say self-censorship actually helps sell because these black label books are meant to be violent, gory. You see sex and nudity, you have graphic content. Because it's guaranteeing that, that's why they have such a heavier price tag.
0: Well that's not even really self-censorship, right? That's that's just kind of like this is what you're about to get into. It's not yeah. we yeah. can't have any of this. We can't have drugs. We you <laughs> which this is this was one of the things that I found most comical like the police or members of authority always have to be portrayed in a positive light. Uh, no matter what. And, and any sort of criminal activity always has to be shown as if it doesn't pay. And it's just like, you're creating a fantasy world. Like that's, that's, those were some of the standards of the comics uh, code authority. And it's like, you're creating a fantasy world that just doesn't exist for these kids. It's like North
1: Korean shit right there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, there's one thing to guard um, uh, children from certain content. I, I, I can see Uh, a a very good reason to want to do that. Um, And again, that's the role of the parent to determine because every child is different. That's greatly dependent on like their maturity level and and things like that. Um, So that's the role of the parent to do. But it's one thing to want to guard them from that. It's another thing entirely to just like, just create this like fantasy world that just doesn't exist anywhere. Which is why we see, you know, the stigma in the comics industry, which even though it, it, it's not necessarily the case anymore, um, it, it still hasn't quite recovered from that, at least not in the United States, of this idea that like, oh, comics are just for kids. Because that's the, that's the kind of comic book that the Comics Code Authority would allow uh, to sell, basically.
1: Do you, do you think there's something unique about the way that Americans react to either wanting to ban something or just outright get rid of it? Because it seems, especially when you look at the 20th century, we're we're an incredibly reactionary people. Usually, the middle consensus just just does not hold. And when I look at comic books, I mean, I, I equate it to music. There was a point where, like, I think it was uh, the state of Los—I'm sorry, the city of Los Angeles or something like or San Francisco like cities across America were banning music. They were banning concerts. They were banning Beatles albums. And it's one of the situations where it's like if we don't like something or if we think something is a problem, we're just going to go ahead and ban it. For for a country that emphasizes free speech, free expression, we don't have a great record of being very consistent with that.
0: Yeah, I think that um the the threat of You know, this this threat of uh, reactionary, just knee jerk, like, oh, this this scares me. So, you know, it it, it, I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. So we have to ban it um, is is a a very dangerous notion that's very difficult for Americans uh, and really anyone to to get over. I think Americans have done a pretty good job at getting over that. I think that perhaps the reason why um, these instances are so prominent in the United States is because we do have this thing called the First Amendment. So we do have to kind of force ourselves to have these tough conversations before, just outright banning speech um, because in other countries, this it, it would be much easier for the government to just arbitrarily decide. That like this content is not good for children, and there's no discussion about that, so we're just going to ban it, and then parents don't really get a say in any of that. Um, whereas here they do, and and I think it's it's kind of a you know it's a double edged sword. Obviously, it, it creates a lot of passion, and and it uh, flames a lot of these emotions that like oh my gosh. Everything in the world is out to try to kill or corrupt my children, so we have to ban everything or, or censor everything to try to protect them. Um, but fortunately that you know that, that's not something that I think has prevailed very much. Um, but it's, it's constantly a threat. It's still there today. Um, it was very prevalent in the 80s, as you were mentioning with like music and stuff like that. Um I still one of my favorite instances in music history is when D. Snyder like stormed the <laughs> he had his own version of storming the Capitol where he went in and and just raped the Coles over with Al Gore and Tipper Gore <laughs> in a in a Senate hearing. And then, um, and then today we see this with like video games and 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 all sorts of things like that. This was very very uh, very uh, topical conversation around the time that Joker came out back in twenty nineteen. Oh, Everyone, I mean,
1: how many times growing up did we hear that Doom was responsible for Columbine? Yeah, yep. And, and you yeah, know, as exactly. much as I, yeah, I mean, as much as I like uh, Glenn Beck, for example. Like in his book, Control, The the Truth About Guns or something, which came out in around 2011, 2012, Glenn Beck even jumped on the, oh, look what happened at all these other schools. These kids played violent video games and then they grabbed guns and they shot up the school.
0: Yeah, which I I
1: think, (laughs) so, I mean,
0: like, I I definitely think that... um, I think sometimes people like like Glenn might be playing devil's advocate. Whenever you know uh, the the next logical conclusion, if you will, uh, with with that line of thinking, would be like naturally like well, if if you think guns can do this, then what do you think video games can do? Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that that's I, I I don't think that people who like really believe that that's the case um have really taken the time to really look into any sort of uh of of the data on this or any anything beyond like anecdotal evidence of course anyone might be able to point their finger to something and say like some s- psycho killer um say like yeah this influenced me to go do this but that's not who was really... the
1: who, who was the guy who killed john lennon didn't he say that it was the book catcher in the rye that told him to go kill him
0: Yeah, and you have like the um, oh the uh, the Aurora, uh, Colorado shooter, the movie theater shooter who was like like obsessed with the Joker. And um, do you remember that? I
1: I went to go see. I had tickets to go see the Dark Knight Rises when that happened. Yeah, and my brother and I were the only people in the theater, and we were in Virginia (laughs) at the time. I've never seen so many cops outside of a movie theater in my life.
0: Yeah. I, and, and, you know, like there's, there's always things like that that can happen, um, but that's the risk that you run in a free society. Uh, it's not the job of the content creator to, to try to make sure that nobody will ever possibly use your work to go out and do something nefarious because that's an impossible job to do. Anyone can use anything for that. Um, and and that's not going to, to stop happening. There's better ways to protect from that and to prevent from that. Um, but I think that using, like I said, with sort of the comic books earlier, uh, back in the 50s, like no one stopped to think back then that maybe it wasn't comic books causing <laughs> childhood delinquency. Maybe it was the fact that like their father got killed in, in, in World War II or the Korean War. Uh, or the fact that they were coming home with this nasty PTSD that was really affecting their relationship with their kids and their wives, uh, and and those are the kind of things that that re- we really need to be looking more into, not just you know trying to find the closest boogeyman to lump into and then say, well, we have to censor.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I I, I rub some people the wrong way when I say this, but I'm Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a fierce defender of like really unlimited artistic expression. Uh, You know, I I skew more conservative. I'm a Christian. But I remember um, there was a display of of an art piece, I think, at the Met in New York, and Mm -hmm. it was it was a piss Christ. It was basically a crucifix. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah, it was a it was a crucifix with with the you know with Jesus on there in like a puddle of urine, and people were like, "That's horrible." Don't get me wrong; I think it's horrible. But mm-hmm. you know, people were like, "Oh, you got to remove it. You got to ban this person from uh, from ever taking part in the art community and all this other stuff." And I'm like, "No, art is art, whether you like it or not." And you know, that that's say, the point of
0: art too is to make people uncomfortable and to, to kind of ruffle some feathers uh, every once in a while. It's it's if, if it was only meant to make everyone happy, that'd be a very boring world to live in.
1: No, I I mean, look at the nineties for the comic book industry, you're leaving the era of just like the super friends you're leaving the era (laughs) of, you know, you know, I I say that just, but it's like, you're leaving the era of the comics to authority. What do you get? You get spawn, you get the Max, you get the Punisher, you get Vigilante, you get really what, what I think are great comics. But because there was such a push for moderation and such a push for you know uh, sanitizing so many of these stories, you get some of the most gory, sexually explicit, maddening stories that have ever been published, mm-hmm. and a lot of them were simply being published. Just because they could. I remember uh, Rob Liefeld and Tom McFarlane from Image Comics. They were saying, "Yeah, our stories weren't really about stories. It was really just about how much can we get away with the artwork on some of the stuff." And, <laughs> and don't get me wrong; I think that's cool. But that's what happens when we skew one way too far, and then yeah, we're the surprised.
0: swings really hard the other way.
1: Yeah, and I mean, th- this is what we're dealing kind of right now with, like the woke comic books. Yeah. It's because you had so many people that felt that you know comic books needed that push that because a couple of people said, no, you can't get away with that stuff, they were like, you know what? We're going to try and get away with it anyway. And yeah. you know, don't get me wrong. I, I have a problem with some of the stuff that like DC and Marvel editorial have done. But the thing I try and tell people is there are enough good books out there that if you don't want to read a certain book, there's another book available for you. Yes, and, and I, 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 and I, think, I agree. Yeah, and I think the market tends to correct those things
0: yeah and and I think that now we're starting to level out, but I mean, like it's it's really saying a lot, honestly, just like how much um, this 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 hearing that resulted in in the comics code authority, it's really saying a lot how much of an impact that it had on speech um, that I don't think enough people fully appreciate or fully realize today you know we we kind of look back through history and we see all these staple moments that that had a huge impact but a, a lot of a lot of people I, I don't think realize how much of an impact this this hearing on comic books had on on the future of of art and expression uh, and speech in the united states and and it's a story that that we really need to to amplify more and obviously, since it's centered around horror uh, and 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 Halloween themes, that that's kind of what I was trying to do with with this article.
1: Well, I certainly think you did a job well done, Caleb. I'm going to go ahead and share your article tomorrow once it gets published. But if anyone wants to go ahead and follow you, argue with you, all that jazz, how could they do so?
0: <laughs> yeah, so uh, you can you can follow me on Twitter uh, and send all your your DMs or your tweets there. Um, at Caleb Franz.
1: Good stuff, man. Well, folks, if you enjoy conversations like this, getting into the nitty-gritty of the world around us, please do your boy a favor and leave a five-star rating interview on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts across Al Gore's amazing internet. As always, be good, be safe. Good night.